my god, you posted that? Delete it. I feel so attacked right now. Don't, Don't act me like, like that. that. Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of Don't At Me. I'm your host, Michaela Copeland, and I'm ready to earn, scam, and win money on social media with you today. Special thanks to Swinburne University, as this will also be airing on Swin Radio every Tuesday. Money, money, money is so funny in an influential world. That's right. It's all about making the big bucks today. You'll be hearing about my tips on how you can become a social influencer full time. And we're going to start off with some basics. Then I'll explore influencer marketing, the power of micro influencers, um, how you can get collabs two ways and the downsides of being a liar. Plus, how you can avoid selling out in the eyes of fans. Firstly, let's talk about some basics that many creators forget. If you're going to be making this a full-time job, you've got to treat it like a full-time job. Yep, that means doing all the paperwork. This may be specific to Australia, so I'm very sorry. I don't know much about the financy stuff, so you're going to have to find the equivalent in your country. But um, the tax man, like, he exists. He doesn't just wave his wand and exclude the creators from these money grubbing hands right just because it's not a traditional way to make an income so you've got to make sure you load your tax return and also have a tax file number another number you need is an abn that is an australian business number so whatever your equivalent is maybe there's like an american business number i honestly don't know um, but you're a brand and your business so you definitely need that number plus once you're a business then you can claim things like work-related expenses that new really expensive camera Yep, you can claim that back on tax. Be sure to keep a folder or a picture album on your phone of all those receipts. And lastly, just be aware that GST exists and that you should charge your collaborators with it. Even though it is included in Australia, there are other things like sales tax I know in America that's not included. So maybe read up on that and ensure that you're charging the correct price. Now all that boring stuff is over, let's go into what influencer marketing is. According to InfluencerMarketingHub.com, influencer marketing is when an individual has the power to affect purchase decisions of others because of their authority, knowledge, position or relationship with their audience. Sammy from Tribe, an app that connects influencers to brands, did a really great talk at VidCon about this new marketing technique. And so most of this like information is in reference to her. She identifies three things that make influencer marketing a $8 billion industry forecast to hit that in 2020. First, it digitalizes the word of mouth. We're way more likely to buy a brand if our mum recommends it rather than the brand recommending itself. We already have an established level of trust and relationship with someone that we are close to and we respect them rather than just like a brand bragging about itself. Second, it's operational. On Tribe, brands post out briefs and within two days they can have submissions from influencers all over the world and have their collaborations live by the end of the week. And third, there are a variety of formats you can choose from to make the ad perform well. You can do like an Insta story, a temporary post, a permanent post, a video and even change up to use like different influencers for the same product. So like you're convinced it's a worthwhile marketing technique and you want to be that influencer who works with brands. Let's now start chasing brand deals. But um, don't you need like 1 million followers for that? Micro-influencers are now more influential than ever. Sammy from Tribe found this interesting loophole. So 
those with under 100,000 followers achieve a far higher engagement rate than those with over 100,000. Interestingly enough as well, when Instagram changed the algorithm early last year, those under 100,000 actually increased engagement even further. Plus followers, they don't count these days. Detch Singh um, from VidCon did a really great talk on Insta liars and I guess what metric we should be worried about. Remember I said we used to assume that all the content just goes out to your followers, right? If you're a social or community manager, you'd know that if you've got a brand account and you're producing content on Instagram, the reach of that is probably around 5% of your total follower number, right? For influencers, probably around 8 to 15%. The really good ones producing awesome content are getting served out harder. So followers matter less now than reach. What we care about is true reach of a piece of content when we're working with influencers or when we're working on our own content, right? Right, so now you're convinced that you don't need a million followers to score a collab. You have a niche, a strong set of engagement and big reach. And that's it, you're set. Now let's start hunting for those collabs. Instead of waiting for brands to reach out to you, why not reach out to them? Rowie Singh, who is an Instagram influencer, and Jamie from his YouTube channel, Jamie Perkins, have similar stories of starting out with brands. Was I really, really like this brand, um, like I really wanted to work with them. So I just bought a bunch of their stuff, and just posted a photo and just hoped that they would repost it and they did. So yeah, so I just invested a little bit and uh, and I just decided to reach out to them one day because it was one of my favorite products and showed them some of my work and they didn't even know who I was at the time and they're like, wow, how do we know? not know who you are and next minute I'm an ambassador. So never be scared to reach out yourself. There's all sorts of ways that they, they can find you and these uh, relationships can happen. Yeah. 100% this is, this is. Then instead of being branded as an influencer, Robbie Singh asked to be called something else. With Mac in particular, um, it's really interesting because I just started working with them this year and I think what they have sort of tried to do is class me as less of an influencer but more as a media partner so I have more of a say and more of an input on the brand campaign um, because most of the times brands are running full campaigns with multiple media channels. So I used to work in a media agency so that's where all this is coming from but um, being treated as a media partner means that I have a better understanding of like the campaign objectives and I'm able to sort of um, filter that into my work a little bit better and report back. The brand knows what um, I'm reporting on and they also know, I also know what I need to improve on. So that's really how I've decided I'd like to work moving forward. Instead of hunting for collabs yourself, you can also employ a talent manager to do so. A talent manager is someone who comes in and manages the contract and agreement I guess between the brand and you the influencer so you get to do what you want creatively and the brand gets to give you a brief and then in harmony you all work together so I guess the talent manager is just sort of like that facilitator in the middle. A panel with Jamie Perkins and also his talent manager G from Gleam explains why you should get a talent manager. Opened up a lot of opportunities to me, made it easy for me to get noticed by people who I may not have been noticed by otherwise and, and negotiate brand deals because essentially as a creative, uh, brand deals are what help you be able to pay the bills. I was doing most of the, the sort of business side myself, probably like the first six years of being in YouTube. And as the channel grew 
and as my business grew, um, the business side was taking up more time than the actual creative side, which I wasn't really enjoying because I'm more of a creative than I am a business person, but as a creative, you have to be, you have to in turn become a business person as well, but I didn't want to be focusing on the business more than the creative side. It makes your relationship with brands a lot better as well. So don't let business get in the way of fun. They then go on to say the duties of a talent manager. So it is our duty just as a talent manager to, you know, sit down with Jenny and all the talent and just say, you know, what brands do you really want to work with? But it's to really lead the negotiations of these brand partnerships. Who wants to bore themselves with all that contract legal stuff, right? It's, you know, uh, a very important part of the process. You know, each of our contracts, you know, get reviewed by our legal advisors. Uh, and we ensure to protect our talent's best interest by negotiating some key aspects like usage, like IP ownership. So how do you find one? There's two ways. The first, you can look for a talent manager yourself. I was looking for somebody who was a little bit more niche, someone who could uh, dedicate a little bit more time to me and my brand, somebody who really believed in what I was doing because that's very important. I feel like there are people who are just going to want to take you on as a client because of your numbers or because of what they think they can make out of you, but they may not necessarily believe in your vision. So if you're thinking of, um, you know, like working with a talent agency, reach out to some other creators, even if you don't already know them, ask around and also, yeah, get like a real feel for them as well. Um, Ask what they can do for you, not just what you can do for them. Because I think a lot of people, they get really excited about having an agent to the point where they don't think, what can you do for me as well? So that's always something that you've got to ask as well. Or talent managers can find you. But you know, we look way beyond just numbers. I think someone who's 20k followers on one platform might be more relevant than someone who's half a million across channels. Um, and it's purely based, you know, our interest is to work with someone that has a has unique voice, expertise. We'd rather someone specializing you know, in the segment as opposed to someone being I'm just lifestyle. And I do a bit of everything because ultimately there's so many talents that are just lifestyle, you know, across platforms. So we're looking for that kind of like you know, unique individual. Uh, regardless of numbers, again, you know, there's no threshold. You, you gotta focus on, on the stuff you like as opposed to please what the internet wants. Once you have a brand, it's important to foster that relationship. Even though it may seem viable at the time, when you're starting out, please do not lie to your collaborator. The two most common ways people lie to their brand they're working with is like doctoring screenshots and getting dodgy third-party data. I sound like a teacher, honestly, but like if you're doing this, you're only cheating yourself. If you lie to brands, it makes it harder for you to find out your real analytics for a campaign's performance and then they'll get a bit suspicious. And more importantly, brands talk. If you did that like on Tribe and then the brand informed Tribe of your sneakiness, you'd be banned and possibly have your career as an influencer come to a better end. So honesty is really the best policy. And now we're making content, we're raining in money, right? I thought we would look at an example of a great collab that's going on. And to help me explore that is Celeste, an up-and-coming creator that I met at VidCon. We quickly became friends and I thought I'd ask her about a collab that she found a bit inspirational. Hello, 
I am here with Celeste from Celeste McDonald. She's an up-and-coming creator, and I met her at VidCon two weeks ago. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> and um, she was just interviewing me for an assignment, and I thought I'd return the favor and do a bit of an interview uh, for her. So she's been an extra in a few shows. Was it NCIS was one of them? I wish. Oh. I wish. What was it then? Uh, so Neighbours, House Husbands, uh, City Homicide when that was on. That's what I'm getting mixed up, City Homicide. Yeah, yep. yeah. I wish NCIS, man, <laughs> if I could get into the States, I'd be happy with that one. How is that? Do you think that like Neighbours really differs in that traditional media to digital media? Oh, absolutely. Because in traditional media, you literally rock up, mm-hmm. you do what you have to do, you go home, especially as an extra, you don't have lines, you have minimal direction, you're usually like in the background. So like I said, you rock up, you do your job, you go home. Yeah. Whereas in digital, you're creating your own content. You've got to set up the lights. You've Mm -hmm. got to set up the camera. You've got to plan, record, edit yourself, which I'm trying to find someone who's an editor. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And then upload it and manage it yourself. So it's 10 times the work. It is. It is definitely 10 times the work. So why did you decide to transition? Um, I decided to transition because I wasn't getting enough work. Yeah. And I thought, well, I saw all these young people getting free makeup and brand deals with makeup companies. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can do that too. Yep. Like, I've got the background skills in beauty yeah. that I could actually do this. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a good like transition, very modern, mm. I think. Um, this episode is all about sort of making the big bucks and... Um, getting collaborations and everything. And I just wanted your opinion, I guess, as a sort of an outsider. You haven't had a collaboration yet, but if you were to look up to someone who was doing a really good collab and it really fit with their brand, could you think of anyone? Absolutely. I think the latest um, collabs with Jeffree Star and Morphe. Yep. That's amazing. Hello. Um, I'm yet to buy the second one and the eyeshadow palettes and the brushes, but I bought the first brushes when I was in London this year. Yeah. Oh my God. They're amazing. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a brand that has known its audience, knows that Jeffree Star is associated with them mm-hmm. and it's an easy fit. Yeah. Also too, you know, when they did the James Charles collab a few months ago and the Jaclyn Hill clubs, there were YouTubers that yeah. were in beauty at the, well, at the time and they had a huge makeup based following and that worked. It does work. Yeah. And, um, those sort of influencers who are pretty big like that, partnering with like something like Morphe, mm. everyone sort of already trusts it because you already buy from Morphe. Yep. So I think, yeah, to your point, that is a really good collab. Yes, 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 yes. Question time. Today I've got a question from Celeste. So let's jump on it. So what can creators actually do to avoid the whole selling out? I actually noticed on my way here that Alicia Marie had actually posted up something on Twitter from Business Insider about YouTubers not saying yes to as many clubs as they once did. So Mm -hmm. again, my question is, how can the creators avoid selling out? Yeah, um, I think that there's a huge difference between selling out and making money. Like an influencer who makes merch to support their brand, that's just them trying to make a living. Whereas sort of a beauty influencer who starts promoting like a superfood or something that's completely unrelated to their industry, I'd see that as more selling out unless they really did convince me otherwise. Um, in order to avoid this backlash from fans, um, I think you need to be authentic. 
as we were saying with Morphe and Jeffree Star, yes, that is a very obvious collab. Yeah. You know, that is something that everyone would expect and would love because of the same industry. Yeah, and I was watching the Shane Dawson episode yesterday that just came out. Oh, I haven't watched that yet. Oh my gosh. And on that, it said that the first brushes that Jeffree Star did with Morphe sold out worldwide in mm. about an hour. Yeah. Wow. I'm just like, yeah, that sounded right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and there's a few clips from Jamie Zhu and Jamie Perkins from VidCon to just sum up perfectly why they think having authentic collaborations is the way to avoid backlash. Yeah, I think like the content has to be like authentic to yourself and also your audience. Um, a lot of brands have like a synopsis. Is that the right word? Yeah. Well, I, I, I went to school, trust me. Um, yeah, they have like exact criteria of what they want you to do. But I think, I think like at the end of the day, a lot of creators just like kind of, if the money's right, they'll just do it. But I think it's important to reflect on like what the content is. Like I got approached by a poker company recently. And you know, it was good money. You know, good money. Uh, but I didn't take it because it wouldn't have reflected well on myself. And I don't want my audience to also be involved in that sort of stuff. So I think in terms of like the creative side of things, you really have to from the get go, uh, like if the brand approaches you, you have a bit more leeway because they're coming to you. So like the angle you have is a bit more um, strong than if you approach them. So I think it's important from the start to just like identify the fact that you want to produce stuff that's authentic to yourself. And if something doesn't feel right, then it might not be the right collaboration. I think just like adding to that as well, like sort of like creators know their audience better than the company can yeah. know. So it's like, they should be more trusting in, in the interpretation of our ideas. For me, it's all about working with companies that I genuinely like. Like, I say no to a lot more people than I say yes to, regardless of if the money's right. Because if I do a campaign that A, doesn't do well, people talk, so that's not good. And my audience will talk. Let's say I just promote a product that I really don't like or wouldn't use, my audience is going to call me out. And that's why YouTube um, advertising works, because it's organic, it's natural. So I hope now you're ready to go out there and be a rich bitch, all right? Let's start creating and see what brand deals follow you from there. Thanks for listening via podcast or via Swin Radio in Australia. Remember to chuck a review on Apple Podcasts and message me on Insta if you'd like to feature. Next week, we're diving into TikTok. I know, I'm a bit scared too, but I hope we'll be able to have a great time exploring all this new platform and the opportunity it brings, apart from maybe cringy dance challenges. Am I a bit biased towards it? I don't know. Maybe. Don't at me, guys. Mm-hmm.